Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode with Jeremy Levine. Jeremy was rated one of the top SDRs of the world this year by Sales Hacker. And so we're going to dig into his brain about what is account-based marketing, what are the best ways to build rapport, you know, especially when you're going outbound and reaching out to people cold for the first time. It's so important to jump on the phone and quickly build that relationship. So we're going to discuss that as well as like, what are the best things managers could do for their sales team? So it's going to be really interesting. Make sure to stay tuned for that. Also, if you're an early stage startup and you're looking to get your first sales or you need help to build and define your sales process, feel free to reach out to us at startupsales.io. This is what we specialize in. This is how we help different early stage companies in building their sales processes and uh, building their teams. So reach out to us at startupsales.io. Let's get to today's episode with Jeremy. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Before we get started in this episode, I know that you're eager to get going, but I wanted to ask for your help. We want to get the word out there more that uh, this podcast exists. So if you're finding value in this and you really are enjoying this, would you mind please sharing this with your colleagues or putting it on social media as much as you can so that we get the word out there and we could continue to deliver more and more content like this? Really appreciate your help and uh, thank you very much. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Very happy to see you again, Adam. Yes. For those uh, nobody will know, I guess, but uh, Jeremy and I actually go back uh, quite some time and we actually worked together in a previous life. I think that was six years ago. Feels like a previous life. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So, Jeremy, can you uh, tell people who you are and and what your experience is? Of course. My name is Jeremy Levine. I uh, am a senior business development rep over at WalkMe. But uh, my journey to SaaS sales has been a little roundabout way. Originally from uh, Denver, Colorado, where I grew up and ended up getting a degree in arts, which is basically useless once you have that degree. (laughs) (laughs) So I've had to reinvent myself multiple times as far as the career path is concerned. But the one thing that was always running in the background was sales. So when I was working in the restaurant industry or selling wine, you know, teaching wait staffs on how to sell wine, there's always this sales in the background. When I came to Israel as a wine professional, once again, I had to reinvent myself and uh, ended up selling over the phone in a variety of different industries. And then um, a couple of years ago, I, um, I got really lucky and landed <laughs> on my feet doing business development with a little startup called WalkMe. Yeah. Not a little startup anymore. No, 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 no. We're kind of crossed that startup scale and on our journey to an IPO. Yeah. Hamsa, hamsa, hamsa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what you were saying, all this falling down, picking up, falling down, picking up, starting over again. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes a salesperson a good salesperson is sticking in there and also learning new things is like the top two traits that are really important to be a good salesperson. I think not just learning new things, but being able to adopt those new things. Yeah. 
you know, if you come in solid, this is my way, this is the way I know how to do sales, but this is not the way that the company does sales. If you can't adjust yourself, if you can't learn, if you can't, you know, take what you've learned and incorporate it into the way that you work, don't do sales. Absolutely. So I want to pat you on the back a little bit and let everybody know, because I think it's important to understand who you are and that you're a good salesperson. You just won a, a very big award recently, no? I did. I, um, I was one of the top 10 sales development people in the world by the Sales Hacker 50 list, which is a blog out of the US by Bravado, which is a big consulting firm. I think they do a lot of what you're doing today. Well, congratulations on that. Nice. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Let's start with this. What does your sales process look like today? Well, as I'm doing business development, my process is mostly about bringing people in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a matter of prospecting or doing the research. We, we do account based sales here. So it's kind of uh, examining in a company, taking a look at the business units of, of the people that we would like to uh, sell our product to diving into those business units and, and you know, putting together a buying center, and then uh, cold outreach using uh, different tools like outreach, for example, yeah. you know, with multiple touch points between email and LinkedIn and telephone, just trying to get that call. And once, once we've got that call, always trying to get to the next step. So doing a cold introduction, what we're looking for, and then on to the next call, whether it's a, an exploratory call for ourselves or bringing in the, the big call to the account executive that's on the uh, account. Great. What is account-based sales? So basically, the way that we're working today is, is that, especially when it comes to strategic accounts, accounts with 15,000 or more, these are your Fortune 500 companies, each account is, is assigned to a specific rep, whether it's regional or vertical-based, which we're not quite there yet as far as vertical-based is concerned, you know, whether one person's taking care of banking, one person's taking care of insurance companies, but they're assigned an account, and then we, we have a team that's based around that account. So on that team, you'll have your account executive, which is basically your, your quarterback, to use a, uh, an American football term. It's kind of directing everybody. On the front end, you'd have somebody like the tip of the spear, that's your BDR rep, like myself. The person that's sitting with the account executive would also be your technical asset, your, your pre-sales or your solution consultant, as we call them. And then on the back end, you have your account manager. So once they've become a client, they're the ones that are going to be handling the, the deployment of the, the product and to make sure that the customer is happy and the renewal, hopefully, down the line when that time comes. All right, great. So when you're reaching out to these people, what's one of the biggest objections that you come across? Well, I, on a cold outreach, I don't have time or yeah. you know, just a general no is probably the biggest objection that you can get. As far as, as how you work around that, there's tricks. It's, you know, okay, no is not today. That's fine. You know, most of the time I can call them back in a month. They don't even remember that they said no the first time and just try to re-engage them either through the phone or through email or through LinkedIn or any other way that you can find. I think once the conversation takes place, it's a matter of, well, if you can't provide a pain, if you can't dig into the caller and into the prospect enough to actually have them express that they have a pain that you're there to solve, you'll get objections across the board. It's not a priority right now. We don't have budget. We can't evaluate. You're talking to the wrong person. Every objection you can possibly throw out there, that's what we get because we're always on the, you know, the front end. I think you just said something that uh, was huge. You said that if you can't have them explain their pain points, whereas most salespeople will come and just 
start rambling off features and, and talking about, hey, we do X, Y, and Z, which will help you. But you said have them explaining their pain points. You want to dive deeper on that? Absolutely. Look, when you're selling a product, it doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Obviously, it's going to provide value. And what you got to sell is the value. But in order to sell value, you have to discover the pain. Okay. Now, if your product is to a specific pain, okay, you obviously have prospected the right person that's going to have this pain. You need to dig with them, okay, to get them to express that pain so they can see it for themselves. Okay. So, for instance, and I, I try not to do this, but I'm going to use my product. Okay. When we're talking about um, onboarding, okay, and Walk Me, it's one of the features, one of the things that we use. Okay. We talk about what's the pain of onboarding? Well, we can't get them onboarded long enough. Okay. That's a pain, but they're not learning the system quick enough, or they're not learning the system and taking what they need in order to be productive. So these are all pains that you could experience within the onboarding process. Okay. And these are all pains that my product walk me speaks to. So it's a matter of digging into that prospect, getting them to recognize the pains that they have to say them out loud. Okay. And then you can say, well, listen, now that you recognize the pain, here's, we have a solution. Can we show you what that solution is? Okay. Which brings us into next steps. And that's the goal of every call is always, let's get to the next step. Couldn't agree with you more. This is always what I try to teach my reps and the other people I work with. But how are you getting them to speak about their pain points? You can't just say, hey, tell me about your pain points. You're right. You're right. And it's a challenge across the board. And most of the time, on that, you know, that quick pitch when on the cold call, it's not the place you're going to get it, okay? Unless you can keep them on the phone for another five minutes, most of the time you can't get it. If you can get past that first hurdle of saying, hey, I've got this amazing product, okay? Or, hey, I know that you have a problem, okay? And I'd like to tell you about the way that we solve it, okay? Let's have a discussion. And then once you can actually have that discussion, you know, it, it's challenging. You got to say, listen, you know, what is, what is your role? What is it that you do? Okay. And within that role, what are your targets? What are your goals? What's your KPIs? Okay. If you can get to that point and get what the prospect is actually, you know, being judged upon as far as their job is concerned. Okay. Then you can start digging for the pain. Okay. Can you achieve this goal? Okay. What's holding you back from this goal? How does that affect you personally? How does that affect your company? Okay. Put a, put a price on it. How much is that costing your company? Oh, that's, that's a big pain right there. You have to dive in super deep and not be afraid of diving in and asking these questions. Absolutely. And you know, it's something that I think you and I have both said many, many times throughout the years. It really doesn't matter what the job is. When you're cold calling, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, it's no, yeah. <laughs> it's no, it's no, they say no. And that's the worst thing that can happen. And that's, I, I think that when you talk to a lot of, of reps, you know, or, or new business salespeople or just salespeople in general that don't do cold calling, they don't understand that they're afraid of it. They're afraid of getting on the phone and talking to somebody they've never you know, spoken to before. They don't have an appointment for. They don't know why they're calling. They're just randomly calling out of the blue. I'm cold calling you. Okay. What's the worst thing that can happen? No. Okay. And once you can recognize that's the worst thing, then you can start to dig. Okay. Because at some point, you know, this is none of your business. Okay. No problem. Yeah. Okay. The least I can do is just send you over some information, take a look at it, you know, and if you don't mind, I'd like to follow you up in a week. And that's, that's the next step. But if you can get to that point where not only do they recognize the pain for the company, but they recognize the pain for themselves, then you've got something. 
How does this affect you as a person, as an individual? And what happens if you don't succeed? Well, I lose my job. Okay, well, let's make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Let me show you my solution to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Now you've got them pushing the product internally for you. So you, you don't have to. Absolutely. It's a creating a champion. That's the yeah. goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you can create a champion to sell for you, then you just got to work on the moving the, the opportunity through the deal or through the organization. Exactly. You just need to keep momentum and, uh, and, and get them to sign. So this question we, we might have just answered, but what do you do differently than most salespeople that make you successful? I think one of the things that makes me successful is my passion. It's something I bring to the table. I, there's a couple of things I do. Um, first off is, is being extremely passionate about the product that I'm selling. Okay. I don't care if you're on the phone with me on video or in person, you know, when you speak to me and when I'm speaking about my products, I'm very passionate about it. I think the other thing is um, we're going to say passion is one I had something else there, Adam, and I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> it's, it's all right. lost it on that moment. But I want to say something about the passion, though, because you say that you come with a lot of passion. And you're right. It shows up over the phone, and it's so extremely important. But when you're just starting the company, you don't have that passion because you don't know it yet. And you don't also don't have the experience yet to be able to speak passionately about it. Yes and no. I understand where you're coming from, you know, and a lot of people that they don't know their product. But I think in today's world, with especially with the amount of research that people put in before they go into a, a business, into a job, into an interview, before they accept a position or sign a contract, they have some idea of what they will be selling. Yeah. Okay. And they want to be there. Okay. Whether it's passion about the company or their new job, that can still carry over. It doesn't necessarily have to be passionate about the product. Okay. It just has to be passion in some sort of form that's, you know, has a little bit of intoxication to it where the, you know, you're excited. Yeah. You're excited about whether it's the product or I'm excited about my new job. I'm excited to be on the phone talking to you about my, you know, new product that I'm selling. Passionate about myself and my role. Okay. It doesn't necessarily have to be the product, but it, you have to feel it in the voice. You have to feel it on the phone. When you pick up the phone and you dial, you have to be smiling. Because people can feel it, regardless if they can see you or not. If you're smiling, people will feel that. Okay, if you're miserable and your face is down, <laughs> it's hard for me to do. Uh, but people will feel that, you know, yeah. when you're on the phone. Regardless, sometimes you don't even realize how much people can feel over the phone until somebody calls you. The tonality has so much to do with it. Absolutely, absolutely. The other thing I was talking about, and why I just crossed my mind, is is building rapport from the minute that you start talking. It's not necessarily, hey, how's it going? How are your kids? But it's more about listening to your prospect, even just a little bit. Oh, oh, you just got back from vacation. How was that? Just to kind of loosen up the conversation. And, and that's something I'm also quite quite good at too. <laughs> Bullshitting. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a bullshit artist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you know, some people are better at it than others because I actually would, I mean, for those that listen, they probably all, all know that I'm I'm kind of real dry and like straight to the point. I'm not good with that bullshitting. It's hard for me to do the bullshitting. I like to get straight to the point, but I have other strengths that overcome that that weakness. But you're right. Even I like I force myself to work on that small talk at the beginning when initially talking to people because you have to build that rapport. It's so utterly important. Yeah. And, you know, I've been over the last two years, I've been listening to account executives all around the world and their different approaches. And I've listened to the Americans for a long time and, and been in many, many different calls and just listening in. 
at different approaches, you know, and you can always tell the difference between the way that people react when it comes to rapport building. Yeah. As far as the prospects are concerned, you know, if you come in and you do a little of that BS and, you know, kind of loosen up the crowd before you start going into your pitch, it helps a lot. Okay. And today, you know, also with sales cycles being as long as they are, obviously it depends on the product, but on certain products, the sales cycle could be anywhere between three months and a year. There is a relationship that you're going to have to revisit over and over and over again. And there'll be times when you need to ask a favor, or there's going to be times when you need to compromise, and there's going to be times when you need to negotiate. But if you have that rapport that's built and you keep it flowing, it will be more comfortable. Absolutely. It'll make the process go much smoother. The other thing is, is that as the markets become more competitive, okay, and products become more aligned, all that's going to matter is rapport because it's like, ah, I don't like you. I can go get the same products from somebody else that I do like. Yeah. There's always another option. Even if you, as a salesperson, think that you're the best product, no one likes to deal with uh, assholes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So before I left the States, I was doing wine sales. Mm-hmm. Okay. And alcohol sales is insane in America. It's extremely competitive. And I was doing wine to restaurants. And to make matters worse, there you're, you're chasing after one placement, you know, one bottle of wine by the glass. That's your money. Yeah, that's your volume cases right there. If you can get that glass of wine on the list, that's huge. But you're there. You've got a, a portfolio of a thousand wineries, ten thousand different wines, and they're all great. And you've got five other guys in there with another ten thousand wines yeah. <laughs> each. And we're all fighting over that one placement. And that's the kind of role that just comes all down to rapport. If you don't have good rapport with the, the buyer, yeah. you'll never get that placement. That relationship, though, goes beyond just that sale. You know, as you progress in your career, you're going to meet them at other positions in other companies that you join, or you're going to meet them at trade shows, or you're going to meet them in other aspects of your life. Like I've, I've gone back and, and asked for help with a job before to people I've sold to. I've had some of my past clients that I've sold to multiple times through different companies on the podcast before. So it's always a circle. And once you build that relationship, it's so, so key. Absolutely. And not only that, you know, you could have another product that you want to sell to them. It's not just one sale. It's the customer that you're going after. Yeah. The sale will come. You want to earn that customer. Once you have the customer, you can sell to them over and over again. And that's much bigger than selling 10 different customers Absolutely. or 10 quick sales instead of one solid customer in some ways. So let's ask this though, because nowadays we're not going the old fashioned way where you probably have a book of about 50 prospects that you're working on in time. Now we're working with two to 300 prospects at a time, maybe even more, depending on the kind of sales cycle you have. What tool are you using that helps you best keep that relationship? I know this is going to kind of push you towards a uh, <laughs> CRM, but maybe that's not the answer. No, I would say LinkedIn, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Really? You know, and this is something that we talk about a lot are the technology stack of sales, all the different tools that we're using today. I'd say there's probably three tools. Obviously, Salesforce, got to have your home base. But where I sit first or where I'm running all of my uh, tasks out of, it's outreach. But where I'm doing my prospecting, it's a combination of multiple tools. But Sales Navigator is going to be the most complete offering as far as prospecting is concerned. Yeah. Okay. And when you flip it over to the social side about being active on LinkedIn, this is another way that you drive brand identity. This is another way that you drive those pains that we talked about a little while ago. If you're constantly posting 
about successes from your company or the business or use cases or pains that your, your clients are experiencing that you're solving and you're prospecting from LinkedIn at the same time and keeping in mind that every time you look at a prospect, they get a stamp saying, hey, you've looked at this prospect. They know you're looking at you. Yeah. Okay. So they might come back and look and see who's looking at me You know, from XYZ company. I don't know this person. Who is that? Or that you reached out to connect. And when they visit your, your LinkedIn page, it needs to have an identity. It needs to have content. It needs to have why you're looking at them yeah. to a degree. So that's where I spend a, a lot of my days on LinkedIn, whether I'm you know, promoting the company or prospecting. And Sales Navigator keeps getting better and better. So hopefully <laughs> soon it will be automated and we just you know, <laughs> click on somebody and everything goes in and CRM and we just get to work. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what do you wish you knew when you began your career? I wish I would have known to chase down a rejection from a job point of view. Okay. So when I was out there looking for roles or looking for my next role, and every time I got rejected, if I would have turned that rejection around and asked why, I think I'd be in a very different place today. That's huge. Yeah. It never hurts to ask why. Because again, it's just like prospecting. What's the worst thing that can happen? Nothing. Yeah. Okay. They've already rejected you. But to go back and say, you know, why did you reject me? So that I can be aware of this for the next job. What mistakes did I make in the process? And there could even be an opening. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm speaking from a little experience here, but there could be an opening for a role when you do that. Yeah. You know, it takes courage, but it doesn't hurt to ask why. I wish I would have known that 20 years ago. And it's the same to go with whether from your job or for when you're selling, when they reject you and they say, no, why? Absolutely. So we could improve. What did you not like about our product? Why did you choose the other company? Right. Or what did you not like about me? Yeah. You know, in the sales process that we put in front of you. Okay. As much feedback as you can get, the better you can hone your skills or the better you can hone your products. You know, absolutely. Definitely. All right. So... This might put you on the spot a little bit and maybe burn a name. So don't answer if you don't want to, if that's going to be the case. <laughs> but I want to know what is the best and worst thing a manager of yours has ever done in your eyes? Okay. The best thing, hands down, is just to believe in me. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's happened a couple of times, luckily, <laughs> that somebody recognized me for who I was in you know, the, maybe some of the raw talent that I had and, and gave me opportunities to move forward, to advance and put me in roles that would challenge me and, and, and gave me the ability to deliver. But I think the best thing a manager can do is, is to believe in your employee. And if you don't believe in them, don't hire them to begin with. I know sometimes you got to fill seats, but if you don't believe that seat that you're filling and you know with the person that they can't do that role, don't hire them. But if you do believe in them, mentor them, bring them forward, give them opportunities because one of the most rewarding things they can do in that process rewarding for you as a mentor, as, as a manager, is if you promote them, if you bring them under your wing, if you if you bring them up with you, they're going to work hard as hell to make you look good. Yeah. Okay. Make themselves look good in the process, of course, but they want to, you know, they want to bring it. They want to deliver on the belief that you put in them. Yeah. That's how I feel when somebody believes in me. And if you do it right, they're going to make you look good. You're going to get promoted. And then you have somebody to promote with you, to bring up under your wing. And you've got somebody, a person in there that you believe in and that you can trust. I think that's something that's missing a lot in management today in different industries. And I've had a lot of experiences. And that's where the, you know, you're talking about the reverse of that is not having that belief is the worst thing a manager can do. Not having that belief or even entertaining 
the belief that this person could even be better than you someday and feeling threatened by it as a manager. That's, that's typically the worst case scenarios or the worst experiences I had is when managers have been threatened by me performing well, and they'll do everything in their power to make sure that doesn't happen right. I think that answers both sides. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you think the worst thing that a manager could do is not believe? Look, I'll tell you, I had a manager once and I, the worst thing, it, it, it just really hit me hard, okay? Because it was in sales and I asked for something, okay, for, that you would typically ask a manager from. And when she didn't deliver, I asked her what happened, she blamed somebody else. Now, I know for a fact that if it was the other person, if it was put off on the other person, she would have taken care of it right away. Yeah. Okay. But look, I'm always the first one to take blame for something I've done wrong. Okay. But you're my manager. If you can't stand up to me and say, you know, look, I've been so busy. I, you know, there's five of you guys or there's 10 of you guys. I'm trying to support everybody. I just hadn't had the ability to get to it. Let's put on the books. Let's take care of it first thing tomorrow. Great. No problem. Completely understand that. We understand that you're, you're not just my manager, but you're, you know, the whole team's manager. On the other front, you know, you're like, oh, it's somebody else's fault. I just lost all respect for her. I just, I couldn't, <laughs> I didn't want to deliver for her. That's for sure. I want to deliver for myself is one thing, but I lost all respect and I left the job shortly after because I, I could not work with her. Yeah. And it's a shame. It's tough to have management that you don't believe in and that you don't trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes it hard to do the job. What am I doing this job for, you know, in the end? Because this is somebody I'm working with every single day. Yeah. In and out, you know, I see them more than my wife <laughs> <laughs> with the way that we work these days. Absolutely. All right. What one piece of advice do you have for all those salespeople out there? Don't be afraid of the phone. It blows my mind away how many salespeople are afraid of the phone. It's a phone. It's not going to bite you. It's not going to, you know, it's a phone. Pick it up. Dial. Yeah. Okay. I, I know that there's people out there. There's phenomenal with emails. I know there's people that are out there phenomenal with LinkedIn, but you need to have all those things together. But, you know, the fear of the phone. Okay. This is where you get to know your client best. This is where you get to know yourself best as a salesperson. Yeah. Okay. We're salespeople. Get up there. Pitch your product. Don't be afraid of the phone. And I think it goes beyond just the initial traction and the beginning stage of a process because you should be using the phone as well throughout the process. I've seen so many AEs not picking up the phone when they get an email saying, hey, we want a discount. Like that's a horrible one to email over the phone or what's the pricing or just answering the very technical question over email when right. you could just pick up the phone quickly address it so that leaves nothing on the table and you could just move forward and you could keep the momentum going that way. And it goes back to what we were saying about building rapport. You know, it's also building that relationship. You should be able to freely call your prospects, especially when you're engaged with them on the long process of a sales cycle, you know, and be able to call them up and be like, hey, I, I got your email and there's some issues here or this is what we're going to do about it. And let's talk about the next steps. Great. Jeremy, we've kind of gone over time here. So I really appreciate you uh, joining us today and sharing all this uh, great insight with us. How can people reach out to you and find you if they want to talk further? Well, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Jeremy Levine, walk me. I'm pretty visible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you can attest to that too. You can see me out there a lot yeah. as much as you are. That's probably the best place to find me. If you want to you know, talk to me or chat or follow me on LinkedIn, that's where you're going to you're gonna find me. And, and I try to post and write and, and share articles about uh, 
the world of digital transformation, digital adoption, which is where we sit today. You know, different things are happening with my own organization at WalkMe or just, you know, interesting stories I see. But uh, that's where you're going to find me the easiest, for sure. Terrific. I'll put your LinkedIn also in the uh, show notes for people to easily find. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure. This has been a great conversation. Me too. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I hope I hope it helps. You know, any salesperson out there that's looking to get better at their job, which I, I would hope that all salespeople are always trying to get better at their job. Yeah. <laughs> so for all the listeners out there that if this helped you, please send uh, Jeremy a message. Great, Jeremy. Thanks a lunch. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.